Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Risk with Dr. Naveen Agarwal. Each week we talk about a topic related to risk management of medical devices in a very casual and informal way. This is not a webinar or lecture, rather our goal is to talk about key topics and challenges in a very informal way and share best practices. I'm your host Naveen Agarwal and I'm the principal and founder at Achieve where my personal mission is to help you achieve success in risk management. My guest in this episode is Pascal Werner. He has a lot of experience developing digital therapeutic applications using artificial intelligence and machine learning. Now, this is a hot topic these days, and there are many challenges and opportunities. There are questions such as bias in the AI ML model or explainability of the model or how much uncertainty is there in our estimates and conclusions. These are difficult topics and a lot of work being done in this area. So we talked about this topic as part of a live LinkedIn audio series in front of a live audience. You're about to hear a recording of our conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now with that, guys, welcome to all of you. Uh, we're going to talk to Pascal Werner today about uh, SAMD, AI, ML devices, and this general top topic from a regulatory and also risk management point of view. So I'm so excited to welcome Pascal today. It's going to be a great conversation. And I also look forward to your contribution and your thoughts when we open the floor for discussion. So with that, Pascal, welcome. Um, I'm so glad to be with you. Thank you for joining me. Please start by introducing yourself a little bit to our audience today. Yeah, uh, thanks for inviting me, Naveen, first of all. So yeah, a um, few words about myself. Um, I studied medical engineering a while ago and then happened to co-found a startup doing smartphone-based hearing tests in 2013. And then, um, I mean, that was a time when medical oh, apps were not necessarily considered medical devices. Mm-hmm. Um, competent authorities were not really sure what to do. But then after a while, well, the thought came up. So you have a product that happens to be a medical device, like an audiometer, which you traditionally used to make or to conduct hearing tests and then you do the same but digitally like why should that not be a medical device mm-hmm. so we started working on that but also realizing that there was just not a lot of experience generally around with working yeah working on digital health working on uh, smartphone or like medical apps so to say mm-hmm. so that's how i got into the, the regulatory part of of software development or development of medical apps or um yeah then also like other like um, uh, um, ai Mm -hmm. applications and well so then long story short 2019 um turned over to being freelance consultant for topics mostly for the topic mostly for startups small medium enterprises on everything like qms technical documentation with main focus on europe but to some extent, I mean, there's from now and then like uh, overlap with the with the FDA um, or like topics. That's FDA, awesome. But yeah, focus overly almost of all on your. That's really awesome. So it looks like you were part of this movement even before it became a buzzword. You started working on these like not more than ten years ago. So I, I was curious to uh, learn this from you, Pascal. Why is this such a big deal now? Why has there been so much interest in AI, ML, SAMD? digital therapeutics. You know, sometimes my head spins with all these buzzwords. Can you help us understand why the industry is now moving in this direction? 
Yeah, um, good question. So, I mean, I guess overall it is because that technology exists. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, everyone has has a phone in their hand that, I mean, can do a lot, probably more than a lot of computers could do not that long ago. And, well, why, I mean, why just use it for um, taking uh, pictures and chatting with friends if you can also use it for uh, for medical purposes? And then the other thing, I mean, in the same with AI and machine learning um, now, or like, I mean, not just now, I mean, it is existing for quite a while, but now with generative AI com- comes up again. So, yeah, why only use it to generate um, yeah. pictures, but if you can also so, uh, use use it for your um, yeah, yeah so benefit. Technology is moving fast. A lot of good stuff is happening. And I think people are realizing that we can do a lot more in solving some of the most difficult medical problems today. So, Pascal, are you able to share an example of, let's say, um, application or a, or a software-based device that you have worked on or you have some experience with? Yeah, so I mean, as I said, like my focus is mostly on the one side, digital therapeutics, um, and then the other hand, like AI and machine learning devices. So, like for digital therapeutics, uh, I mean, a lot in the US, but like in, in Europe and specifically Germany, now since there is like a more established reimbursement pathway um, called uh, DIGA, like mm-hmm. digital translation of digital health application in German, Digitale Gesundheitsanwendung. Like there's kind of quite a plentitude of, of those of those apps, like a lot focus on, let's say, mental health, like depression, or yeah, kind of lot, lots of different chronic diseases for which there may not be like a very established um, way of treating. I mean, traditionally medicine is very good at treating acute um, problems, but then once things um, get chronic, uh, I mean, often a behavior change is, uh, needed and that is something that like something that you have in your hand that can mm-hmm. give you that can nudge you that can give you a notification that you can use whenever you have a few minutes time um i mean that is useful for that so yeah worked on on a good handful of those apps like let's say that we use some form of um cognitive behavioral therapy for example to yeah help the, uh, treat depression or help with being being overweight and, and so on. I see. That's very fascinating. It reminds me of like a AI ML-based uh, device that got cleared through the de novo process recently. And, and I came across this and, and wrote about it on the Let's Talk Chris newsletter. Uh, this actually helps doctors diagnose uh, in early childhood, as early as like two to three years old, signs of ASD, which is uh, autistic spectrum disorder, right? Autism spectrum disorder. So, it's a tough problem. And what you're describing, uh, depression, mental health, behavioral issues, are tough problems. And looks like AI ML is being used in that area to solve some of these problems. Is that um, a good way of understanding this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you were covering then the other side, like more like the doctors rather than the, the patient side of it. But I mean, overall, it's like something that may not be that well understood by a lot of um, healthcare providers. So giving them tools that helps them um, predict or diagnose things like that definitely helps. And then on the other hand, I mean, a lot of mental health healthcare um, providers are completely overwhelmed and there's a lot of lot of waiting time. Mm-hmm. So let's say that even if maybe like a digital, a kind of digital therapeutic may not be as effective as like normal traditional support, I mean, I'm not saying it is not, but like it's even, even if it would not be like then just giving Let's say it's just eighty percent good. It's good, but it's actually available. Versus mm-hmm. uh, therapist is not available. Well, then you probably also take the eighty percent approach. 
So, so, so it, I think generally it, it makes things a lot more accessible. And let's say, so let's say if you rank yeah. different um, um, uh, health issues, like let's say from one to 10 and maybe like only the, the most severe ones actually need a therapist. And then if you're like, like if it's not that severe, but you may still benefit from, from help, like that is something where digital therapeutics um, can guide help a lot, I think. So, you know, it, it just gives me an idea now listening to you that it's all a question of benefit risk, right? Some of the problems that are tough to solve, we can solve with AI ML and provide that favorable benefit risk, uh, you know, just similar to other medical devices. So it has a place to place in the market in the application space. Because what I'm hearing you say is that even if you can get to about 80% benefit with much lower risk, it is still worth it, right? So right. does that sound about right how you would evaluate a potential AI ML-based application for medical applications from a benefit-risk point of view? Um, yeah, I think so. And like, I mean, it, and you have, I mean, you have to do benefit-risk assessment <laughs> yeah. for, for any, any device, right? So yeah, it's like it's, yeah, yeah. What what is the risk? What 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 is the benefit? And if the one outweighs the other. I mean, and it should outweigh the other. Then uh, then that's uh, worth it. But it also it also is a little bit challenging, I think, to demonstrate with a lot of clear cut data, unlike traditional medical devices. So from that point of view, can you say a little bit about how the regulatory approach is evolving uh, to support this, you know, innovation in AI ML for the medical applications? Well, I mean, you can mostly speak about Europe here, and, sure. and unfortunately, it is not evolving that much okay. <laughs> so far. Okay. Um, so, I mean, obviously, like all the different um, stakeholders are kind of learning and getting more used to it. Like, also, just remember, like talking to competent authority in Berlin, um, like I don't know, like yeah, as you were saying, like ten years ago or so, and they're only. Uh, response was like, yeah, we are not experienced, or like not just them, but like in other um, states as well. We are not really experienced with that. Like we, we can't, we, we can't really help or support here. Um, but now people definitely ask a lot more pointed questions now. More, what, um, what, what, yeah, what to look out for, what, what to do. But um, especially when it comes to um, that reimbursement pathway, it seems that. Um, that the authority in, in Germany is, uh, yeah, I mean, their main background is as is, is, is pharma. Uh, so like a lot of um, concepts from that are being brought over <laughs> and uh, the scrutiny is actually more increasing. And like the, while in the beginning, let's say like a, just a systematic data analysis of your, the, the data, the use data that you already had for your device was sufficient to get preliminarily listed. Now you need to run a small RCT, which obviously is a lot more, lot more effort. Yeah. So um, I would say, at least for reimbursement, things definitely get get a little harder. But it also make, I mean, some extent it makes sense. To some extent, it, like um, I mean, as long as the play, the um, kind of the rules are the same for everyone, or the interpretation is the same for everyone, it makes sense. But mm -hmm. I mean, it changed over time. But, Got you. Um, but from a regulatory, it's a purely um, regulatory perspective. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, and I, I think the, I mean, the main issue actually still is that, I mean, you have those risk classes in, in Europe for under MDR mm -hmm. and it's just really not clear yet, um, where digital therapeutics fall. Uh, really. I mean, I see. I'm not sure how familiar everyone is like with rule 11 for, um, a software, a device, but it basically says it's, 
if you provide information for like yeah to for as a basis uh, for decisions for therapeutic or diagnostic purposes then it's a class 2a or higher yeah and if not um then it's class one i mean gotcha. ignoring monitoring devices for now so i think um, well so it'll depend a lot on what you are claiming as your intended use or indication and just literally and just literally where you where, where your business is registered Gotcha. So meaning if you're if you're in some states like Bavaria and Hamburg, you're maybe class one. Uh -huh. If you're in Berlin, you're maybe two A or two B for literally the same device. So uh -huh. <laughs> um, that so obviously well. makes makes business a bit harder for for the one than for the others. And I feel like that like just harmonization and expectations would be would would be helping a lot. So so what I'm hearing you say is that there is still a lot of uncertainty and open questions. Uh, my understanding right. is a little bit better on the on the US FDA side and what I'm reading, just to share with my with the audience here, and I would love to have comments from you guys too, is that the FDA's actually regulatory approach is evolving in a pretty nice way. I think they have set up a center of excellence, they have issued certain guidances, and it seems to me that uh, many of the devices that have gone through the, the de novo processes, process are being positioned as an aid in the diagnosis not the diagnostic itself, but as an aid in diagnosis. And that, that kind of lowers the bar on benefit risk. Benefit is lower, but also, you know, residual risk may also be a little bit more tolerable. So we leave it at that, Pascal. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start inviting uh, our colleagues from the audience to participate in this discussion. Guys, David, your hand is up. You know what to do. I'm going to bring you on. But uh, while I'm bringing uh, David on stage with us here, a virtual stage, guys, it's very simple. Just uh, find this uh, button at the bottom of your screen to raise your hand if you are interested in joining this conversation. And I can I can bring more people at one time. So don't wait for your turn. We run out of time very quickly. If you are interested, I'll start bringing you on. So with that, David, you are on first. Please unmute your mic and share what you have in mind. Thank you, Naveen. And also thank you, Pascal. Uh, it's a great discussion. I have a general question um and maybe if you could just comment on some of the different tools and methodologies that are either being used or possibly necessary in some of the um some of the newer technologies that are out that are very complicated involving people and software and possibly ai um can you comment on that so so you mean like the tools that are being used to develop yeah, or yeah, like from a quality perspective, uh, and maybe quality slash risk, the tools that we're using, engineers, doctors, um, from design to post-market to actually accommodate the differences in some of these newer technologies that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, good, good question. So I think, I mean, first of all, I mean, I'd put, at one point I'd really like to point out is an SAMD is still a medical device, regardless of that, that it's software. So from a risk management perspective, I think yeah, in the beginning, you can even really ignore that it's a digital therapeutic or so. But the main question is like, what harm can it cause? And how and where does that come from? And it's not necessarily like, let's say, not because the database is failing or whatnot, but it's like, because of, let's say, wrong information is being provided or the intended purpose is misunderstood. Um, or there's a certain uh, higher prevalence for for certain um, problems in that 
in the, in the, in the patient population or so. So it's really more like what is the, yeah, what, what, what is, what is the, the indication that, that patients have what, and what like harm can be caused by using that device. And then only once you have the, uh, established that, then you can dig deeper into like, where yeah. is that actually coming from? Because I mean, if you do like a traditional, um, FEMA or so, like where you try to look at every individual or every possible failure mode, I mean, you're not going to come to a conclusion really. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, for, for, for hardware products, you have like a handful, yeah. not a good handful, but still a, a manageable amount of failure modes. If you look at software, you easily are in the millions. And you and, may not be able to get there, right? So I think what, right. what I'm hearing you say, Pascal, is that the fundamental approach to hazard analysis is no different, whether it's a typical medical device or a software-based medical device, right? If, how you do it is not much different, but you have to maybe apply a different expertise and maybe an FMEA might not be the best tool. Is that a correct understanding, Pascal? Right, I mean, I'm not necessarily saying no FMEA, FMA, but like not, uh, but more target. So like that shouldn't necessarily be the first step, but more knowing yeah. what, what can actually happen with the device to have a bit of a, idea where to look for and being a bit more targeted gotcha. in, in finding root causes. Got you. Thank you. Uh, Rajat, you're on. So go ahead, please unmute your mic and share what you have in mind. Yeah, thank you, Naveen and uh, Pascal. It's a very interesting project and something that I have been wondering about kind of these uh, therapeutics and AI ML is kind of the biases and how holistic these can be like how does the risk evolve or uh, change over time because of course like you'll be training with a limited uh, maybe patient data initially and if you have to kind of uh, look at that evolving alignment for ai how, how does that work and and how does that operate to the risk well, right. I mean, so like that's <laughs> definitely one of the main <laughs> problems. Uh, and like, let's say when you come from Europe, I mean, one one of the main things the FDA is asking you is like, what kind of how did you ensure or at least attempt to lim to limit the bias? So meaning like if you run a trial, you would at least want to have site over here and also like make sure that there's enough um, yeah, the participants involved um, kind of representing the mm -hmm. the population overall so um i think what i will add to that pascal is that this this question actually is difficult to solve and a lot of uh very good thoughts and good best practices are evolving and i have come across several reports even fda and also the mdic here medical device innovation consortium they are working very actively on this uh point so what we will do is that we'll try to compile those resources and share with you guys in our Let's Talk Risk newsletter. So we recognize bias in our algorithm is a very major problem. And uh, I think best practices are going to evolve. So with that, I want to move on and invite Ed to uh, please share what you have in mind, Ed. Go ahead. Ed, can you unmute your mic, please? Okay, I'll give Ed a moment to uh, to join us. In the meantime, Mark, you're on. So go ahead and please unmute your mic. Hey there. Hey. Um, great conversation. Um, something that I, I'm a big proponent of advanced technologies and innovation and risk management and safety. Um, something I've been struggling with are the black box issues mm -hmm. of 
integrating AI tools. So how do we prove that we have the appropriate controls over our product if we're using machine learning, if we don't know what it's doing? That's my yeah. question. Yeah. So explainability, right? I heard about that. Can we explain what the machine is doing? Uh, well, in some cases you can, in some cases you can't. And I guess that's one of the reasons why there is not yet a chat GPT or generative AI based device around and it will probably not be for quite a while. And I mean, when you talk about ma machine learning or like data, let's say more like we call it data-driven medical device. And if, or data-driven as AMD. So like whenever the, whenever there is a option to do it simple, like let's say linear regression over, over um, you know, network, for example, then, I mean, it would always go for the, for the simpler one just because it makes explainability a lot easier. And I mean, for machine learning, there are some ways of doing it. Um, even if it's, I mean, starting with some kind of um, kind of fast testing where you can ensure that even at least a smaller variations in, in input don't lead to a drastically different the output, for example, but then also like a bit more soft, more sophisticated, like explaining why is that that neural network doing what it's doing. I mean, that is there's there are some good attempts on that, but for generative AI, that's too new, uh, really, and there's not much that yeah. I'm aware of yet. And also, I'm curious to see what can, can when there will be medical devices around. But you know, I think it, it definitely needs a lot, lot more, lot more work. But you know, here's a thought I have, guys, um, and I've thought about this a lot because at the end of the day, can we even explain as clearly as we can when we have a traditional device working with people? It has no software, but software from people's mind. Explainability is always a challenge, but at the end of the day, we are talking about uncertainty in our estimation of risk, right? How much uncertainty can we tolerate? So I think it's going to evolve how much process control you want to put in your algorithm in the first place. But as practitioners, I think we should be able to somehow quantify the uncertainty in our conclusion or results. Uh, so, uh, Mart, please hang in there because I think we're going to probably have some follow-up discussion, but I'm going to give Ed now a chance to please join me and share what he has in mind. Ed, go ahead. Yes, uh, Naveen, this is a very interesting discussion. Um, but for people who want to know more, there is a conference coming up next month in Cincinnati, um, the uh, uh, AFDO Reps uh, AI Summit. And that conference is got some really key people in this area. Um, I know uh, one of my good friends, Pat Baird, who led the development of the uh, Amy, uh, was it technical report? Yep. 34971, mm -hmm. which has now been um, uh, accepted by ISO as a uh, project to develop a ISO uh, technical report on AI. Um, so that just happened this week. Um, so if you want, and oh, the big thing is the FDA heavily participates in this. So if you're in the U.S. Uh, market um, and you want to ask questions, they have what they call office hours where you can actually meet one-to-one -one with some of the FDA people and get your questions answered. It's a great activity, um, and and I oh and um, it's also got a uh, small business fee for attending, mm -hmm. so you don't have to pay as much as the big companies do, um, and and uh, 
I, I think you'll find it very beneficial because this is a, a rapidly expanding world. Uh, and they're going to be talking about uh, the FDA's new uh, process uh, for, uh, what the heck is it, PCCP or something like yeah, that. Yeah, uh, you mean the, the change control? The change controls. Yes. Yeah, yes. Got it's it. It's going to be one, right. of, one of the topics going to be discussed, and it's with some of the FDA people who were involved in it. So this is so awesome to hear that. And guys, you see see the awesomeness of this forum here. We learn so much from each other. Ed, thank you for sharing this and and informing us about this conference. The Amy guidance, I think, is something or technical report is something that we should all become very familiar. So, um, you know, Ed, thank you for bringing it up. With that, I uh, think I have... Uh, oh, go ahead. You had something else in mind. Yeah, one more thing. It's yep. been adopted by British Standards as well. Oh, nice. Nice. And so uh, it's available through uh, British Standards or Amy, either one right now. But uh, nice. within the next couple of years, it'll be a, a, a ISO uh, technical report. Love it. Love it. So, guys, we have uh, very little time left. So now I have... Uh, I'm going to invite Phil. Phil, you have been waiting patiently. Please unmute your mic and share what you have in mind. Yes, thank you, Navian. Uh, thanks for putting this together. So uh, the question you bring up about certainty is actually something that's really interesting. So I was part of a uh, an objective to put uh, add AI into a MRI screening software uh, intended for technologists to utilize. And what it did is it pulled out areas of interest that might be something that they should look at. Mm -hmm. And there was two areas of uncertainty. One is... Obviously, there was a percentage that it was portraying, but what did that percentage mean? Did it mean that it was possible or likely? Mm -hmm. And then the other issue we ran into was the UI aspect itself. Mm -hmm. It was was it certain or uncertain if it was an area of of, of interest? So something that we tested on and found that um, FDA also questioned. So uh, there's not only a human aspect of uncertainty, but also the AI aspect of uncertainty. Yeah, and maybe it just compounds the situation, but. I think as risk practitioners, we have to be mindful of that and quantify that uncertainty as much as possible, right? That's what we need to do. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that, Phil. Awesome. Uh, Shriya, I will just take one last uh, question or comment from you. We are going to run out of time soon. So please go ahead and unmute your mic. Thank you. I actually joined just when the uh, topic about the conference was being discussed. Can I ask what is the name of the conference, which is next week. I know somebody who would be very interested to go there. Ed, do you do you know the name or I can look it up and uh, share with you guys? Ed, do you, do you have the name handy in your mind? Yes, it is the AI Summit and is sponsored by RAPS and APTO, the uh, Association of Food Drug Officers. So uh, you'll find it if you go to RAPS, uh, you'll find the AI Summit. Okay, perfect. And, it's, really and it's in Cincinnati, Ohio, right? That's correct. It's it, in Cincinnati. Is it a Xavier's? Uh, it used to be part of the Xavier program, but Xavier dropped all their uh, uh. conferences. And so uh, Reps and AFTO picked it up, and they've been uh, sponsoring the same conferences around the country. And I know uh, the Combination Products one is going to be in Fort Worth, uh, next month also. Awesome. So, okay, got it. I'm going to be at that one. Okay, thank you, guys. Uh, so I'm going to give uh, a couple of minutes to Pascal to gather his thoughts and, you know, maybe share a few closing comments as we close. But in the meantime, uh, again, guys, I want to share with you just a few housekeeping announcements. Uh, the first one, those of you who are new, we meet every Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 
This is a very casual event. You don't need a formal invitation. There's no registration. If you're interested, mark it on your calendar. Every Friday, you don't have to join every Friday. You can find recordings, as I mentioned, on my Let's Talk Risk newsletter. So that's the second thing I want to ask you is please go and sign up for the newsletter. The link is there in the first comment of this event page. You will find recordings of the past conversations as well as when this recording is ready, I will put this up there. Plus, you will also find key highlights. So in case you are in a hurry, you don't, you don't want to spend 30 minutes listening to a recording, you can read a quick article. And finally, here is my call out, call to action. I know all of you, without exception, have some expertise, some insight, some know-how, some interesting view on topics of interest in risk management or medical devices in general. I invite you to join me as a guest speaker. This is open to all, no preparation required. Believe me, we just meet 15 minutes before going live and we just chat a little bit and we present this to you. This is not a webinar, no major presentation required. So please reach out to me if you are interested in joining me as a guest speaker and uh, being a part of this conversation. So I look forward to hearing from you. With that, Pascal, uh, the floor is yours. Please share any closing comments that we can take away with. Yeah, I was just wondering what I can say that is worth saying. Um, uh, I th but I think, I mean, one of the common things that we just talked about was there's just, I mean, overall, kind of the field, I mean, bo of both topics is is fairly new and and fact that everybody may or may not be very prepared. So like, I mean, um, and I brought up the topic of PCCPs. I mean, yeah, they, it's more common in, in, in the US, but let's say in Europe, I mean, you can, I mean, I know a couple of cases where that also worked out, but I mean, it's not really formally accepted, but like it's as long as, or like there's no standard or no general guidance, but if, as long as you, let's say, do the right thing that makes sense for mm -hmm. a certain device, then you can still get it in. And I think the, the main point to, to, to bring up is like, since it's like a new field, just like using common, yeah, regulatory approaches and kind of try to make them work for for digital therapeutics or AI to the best extent possible um, and actually putting in the work and explaining how you came to the conclusion why you did it that way I mean so far that typically most times worked out and you um, yeah like yeah. if there's something new I mean you have to cut you have to cut, find a way because there may not be yeah guidance yet I mean more and more standards coming up and obviously using them the technical reward that it was mentioning it and so on but like if there are gaps you'll need to find a plan yourself and yeah typically starting from yeah with a couple of key principles that are not just for software but for any devices sure applying them as good as possible i guess so, that's the main thing we need to find out absolutely thank you so much for sharing that and guys what i will say is since this is a new field and an exciting field we also have an opportunity to shape it so go to the conferences like the one that ed mentioned be a part of this conversation and contribute your expertise because we are shaping the play-doh here and a beautiful piece can come out that we may all love so we all have a role to play i leave it at that and um, wish you guys a very good weekend ahead and look forward to seeing you next week take care everyone bye-bye right nice we get